are there any any other adjustments, additions, or deletions required to the agenda? Um, administration would like to add, and we'll do this under new business, a request from the government of Alberta to uh, proclaim June the 5th to June the 11th, 2017 as Seniors Week. So we'll add that. Uh, at the bottom of the new business. Be good. Move to accept as amended. Okay. All in favor? Passed. There are also the minutes of the May 8, 2017 regular council meeting. Uh, are there any uh, corrections that need to be made there? I'll make a motion to accept the minutes from the May meeting as presented. All in favor? We have a public hearing. And this will be uh, bylaw 1998. And this is a bylaw to amend bylaw 1891, the land use bylaw to rezone a portion of river lot 40 from residential 1A to agricultural urban reserve. And <clears throat> So I will, I hereby declare the statutory public hearing open at uh, four minutes after five and note that this hearing is being held pursuant to section 7, 8, 230, 606, and 692 of the Municipal Government Act. I request the executive assistant to confirm what the purpose of the public hearing is. The purpose of the public hearing is bylaw 1998, a bylaw to amend bylaw 1891, the land use bylaw, to rezone a portion of river lot 40 from residential 1A to agricultural urban reserve. When uh, was the public hearing notice advertised and, uh, and in which newspapers? The statutory public hearing notice was published in the local newspaper, the Record Gazette, on May 3rd, 2017 and May 10th, 2017. Very good. Excuse me, and the 18th. Okay. 17th, correction. And uh, were there any written submission received but not included in the public hearing agenda package? And if so, uh, we'll need to read them into the record. There were no such submissions, Your Worship. Thank you. I just want to advise that uh, all persons giving oral presentations are to clearly state their name and position and that those presentations are to be brief and to the point. I will now call on the development officer, uh, Ms. Alicia Modi, to come step forward and uh, make her presentation on this particular bylaw. Good evening, Council. Uh, my name is Alicia Modi, Municipal Planner, and I will briefly reiterate the purpose of this bylaw is to rezone a portion of river lot 40 in the Shasper settlement from residential 1a to agriculture urban reserve district this rezoning will support a subdivision application which is before our subdivision authority um, and it will the subdivision itself would separate out a 1.08 acre parcel from the balance of the land and the, ba the balance would be the portion which is shown on schedule a of the bylaw 
which will be rezoned to Ag Urban Reserve District. The small portion of the land where there is a developed residence will remain residential 1A district. It's a fairly straightforward application. Uh, we'll get to recommendations at the bylaw stage. Okay. I will uh, now call on those in favor of the bylaw to come forward and uh, make any statements they wish. Uh, second call, third call. I'm assuming that it's not because there's no one not in favor of this bylaw, it's just that they're not here. Uh, so I will now call on those opposed to the bylaw uh, to come forward and uh, make their presentation. Second call, third call. Uh, we will now uh, go on to call on any person deemed to be affected who wishes to be heard to come forward. Second call, third call. Um, seeing that all presentations uh, have been made, I'll, uh, I'll allow questions from members of the council. Uh, are there any uh, members of council wishing to ask Ms. Modi any questions? I know I should ask the questions now or later. So the the lot where the residence is on, how large how large is that? The proposed lot is one point zero eight acres. And it is currently service connected to the town infrastructure, or are they providing their own sewer water? I believe they are connected. It's but an you're existing not sure. residence. I'm not. That's subject to the subdivision application, so it's that isn't really pertinent to the rezoning. Really? So if we approve it, then does the subdivision have to get approved then? Like. Because there are some minimum standards in terms of lot sizes if they're not serviced, right? If they have their own septic field, that kind of stuff, right? Certainly there are. I'm not familiar with the specifics of that subdivision application. And no, the application doesn't have to be approved. It would be approved if all of the other requirements are met. This is simply one of many. It's very okay, right? Good point. Any other questions? Uh, do you wish to make a concluding statement, uh, Ms. Moody? No, I don't. Okay. Seeing that all the presentations have been made uh, and there's been an opportunity for council to uh, make inquiries, I will now declare the public hearing closed at nine minutes after five. Thank you. That will now take us to uh, pres presentations. Uh, we have one presentation from Ms. Kara uh, Daniel, and it will be on the 99th Street slide. Uh, Ms. Daniel can come forward to make her presentation. Uh, 
from the back door of our building, which was pressing against our building and causing pressure cracks in our building's foundation. Remedial work was, conduct was conducting to mitigate damage to our property and buildings. Five weeks of destructive ground movement had continued from the date of the first appeal decision to the second appeal date. During that time, the town communicated no plan to us at all, nor provided any assistance in removing their slum materials from our property. On October 26th, we filed our subdivision development appeal form that was scheduled for hearing on November 3rd. On October 13th, we discovered pooling and flowing of sewage through our business parking lot from the land above. It was Noel who notified the town shop of this sewer leak. Town workers attended at 99th Street. An online publication stated that the road was closed due to an increase in the slide near 99th Street. Two days prior to the appeal hearing date, we met with town officials who advised their short-term plan was to take away slide mass from our property once they had received geotech reports from Parkland Geo, but they had no action plan for us at that point. On November 3rd, the appeal hearing was conducted. The appeal board seemed shocked to learn that the town had not offered us any help or assistance since the last meeting. As a result of the events that had taken place at our shop, we were forced to close our business and it remained closed until January 3rd of 2017. We lost two months of income, during, which during the Christmas season was extensive as our inventory was at its highest peak as inventory for the 2017 season arrives during the month of December. We were required to move our inventory and shop supplies to a new location until things were rectified and improved at our shop. We incurred the cost of additional insurance for a new location, rent for a building for our inventory and stock, time, labor, and cost to move the inventory. On November 15th, we met with Mr. McQuaig and Ken Tenzin of Parkland Geo to discuss a number of issues. Mr. Tenzin advised that no geotech reports were available as of yet. Mr. McQuaig advised that $2 million would be set aside and allocated for remediation which remediation would include us as well. Mr. McQuaig also requested what it would take to get our shop up and running again. He also confirmed the town would be responsible for the remediation work and cost there too. A copy of the notes reviewing our meeting of the November 16th date was emailed and on November 17th, we provided our comments and additions and were awaiting confirmation that these items would be addressed and accepted by the town. We awaited confirmation that this access agreement they wanted included a clause that placed all liability on the town for any damages that may occur, and in particular, a written plan in collaboration with Parkland that we could advise to our insurance company. No such confirmation was received from the town. On November 18th, we received the decision of our second appeal. We still await minutes of that meeting, which we are advised are not available for distribution. The appeal board determined that the stop order was properly issued by the development officer. 
The board did request the town to work with us to confirm what work could be undertaken at our property regarding movable structures and other materials, and that the town continually communicate with us regarding remediation of the slope. It is our understanding that this stop order remains in place indefinitely. On November 28th, while we were on holidays with our family, we received an email from Mr. McClay and an email from Ken Warnock enclosing the temporary workspace agreement and advising Bruce Clay's cell number to call to review and sign up with. I called and spoke with both Ken and Bruce about the discussions that we had with Mr. McClay and wanted to confirm that some items were to be addressed. On November 30th, while still on holidays, we received correspondence via email from the town highlighting discussions from our November 15th meeting and our follow-up comments and what we clearly interpreted as a time-sensitive threat from the town that, quote, if the access agreement is not signed, there may be implications with your insurer in not mitigating risk when assistance was offered by the town. And that the access agreement be signed and returned to town land agent within 72 hours of receiving this letter. And if not, the town would interpret this as a refusal of remedial work and investigation Occurring, occurring on our property and withdraw their offer to provide the services. This situation became extremely overwhelming and stressful while on holiday. Prior to our leaving on holidays, we were merely awaiting written confirmation from the town that we would receive, that we would receive a written plan of what would take place and that all of our follow-up comments would be agreed to and addressed. We wanted to know who was signing this agreement for the town as it was their land agent that would be signing it. We wanted to confirm that the town was in agreement. We were also looking for confirmation as to who the stop order applied to. Issues of insurance for all on our property and full written disclosure of work being performed. As Mr. McQuaid had told us previously, the town would provide. We did not believe we were in any way stalling or refusing remedial work. On December 1st, we emailed the agreement with our minor changes to the town and copy to all relevant parties. On December 6th, we had discussions with Ken Warnett and he forwarded the new agreement to be signed. As we were still on holidays with our family, we were unable to print the agreement at our location and Ken resent it on December 7th, 2016. The agreement was the exact same as originally presented with the only change being a dollar value put in. On December 8th, 8th, after speaking with Ken about a few last minute issues, Ken advised that he would call Mr. McQuay and call me back. At 11.16 a.m., Ken calls while biking with my grandchildren and he confirmed the town did agree to all of our comments in the letter from Mr. McQuaid dated November 30th of 2016, and that the town agreed to the liability, and that all parties involved in the remediation had appropriate insurance and would be liable. Mr. McQuaid advised via Ken that the town would be, quote, absolutely continue to remove slump material now and until the retaining wall was put up on our property. And advised once the retaining wall was there, there should be no further issues. I signed the access agreement 
and verbal confirmation was given to Ken Warner that the town and parkland geo could enter onto our property. On December 19th, we received an email from Mr. McQuaid advising that Butch would be in touch this week to move some dirt around the buildings and move the seat hands. On the same date, we received an email from Carol Lillico of the town workshop advising that Butch would attend the shop on December 29th to move the seat hands and dirt. Butch and crew did attend at the shop on December 29th to remove smoke material and our one seat can was placed on level ground. As it was our belief that the slide was initiated from town authorized activities and lack of prompt remediation, we felt it was in the best interest of all parties for the town buy us out. On January 9th, 2017, we forwarded correspondence to the town proposing the purchase price of 450,000 would be reasonable given the circumstances and awaited the town's reply within 10 days. No reply to our correspondence was received. I spoke with Mr. McQuaid on January 20th. He advised that he needed to speak with council. Council was well aware of everything that was going on and that it would be another two to three weeks before he would get back to us. He advised the geotechnical report should be ready within a week and they would have recommendations and budgets. Mr. McQuaid advised that he would send an email with what we had just discussed for our records. On January 27th, I sent Mr. McQuaid an email wanting to follow up with our phone conversation of the 20th. Mr. McQuaid replied that he was still waiting for Parkland Geo to issue their report, after which he would review and update council and get a decision. He said he would, buy, he would advise when he received that report. On February 3rd, when Noel arrived at the shop, he was shocked to find a flood of sewage had engulfed our sea cans and our parking lot had become a skating rink of sewage. He called the town and left a message for Mr. McQuaig to call. Noel tried calling Butch, then went up to the land above to see that a town worker was at the manhole fixing a lift pump. The float had failed and was not working. On Saturday, February 4th, I called Mr. McQuaid to advise him of the incident. He advised he was not aware that was not aware, and then he attended at the shop and spoke to Noel. On Monday, February 6th, town workers attended at the shop to scrape away frozen sewage and lay some gravel. On February 24th, we received an email from Mr. McQuaid advising they had met with Parkland Geo last week and they are still going through their analysis and don't have any recommendations ready yet. Mr. McQuaig advised that in the meantime, they will continue to monitor the situation and will render assistance in removing any slide materials that may prohibit our operations, and that hopefully at the beginning of April, they will have recommendations to sit down with council. On March 6th, we emailed correspondence to the town advising our position that waiting until April or later for preliminary discussion on next steps by the town is not acceptable and frankly unreasonable to even suggest. We believe that the town owes us a duty as a neighboring landowner and we believe several environmental health and safety laws and regulations have been contravened and requested a reply to our previous offer on or before March 17th. We received a reply from Mr. McQuaid stating the town would not have information to determine a course of action until the geotechnical report was issued. Sewage collection on 99th Street will be monitored. 
He stated the February 3rd event investigated was groundwater released from the soils above, but then he further stated he will send his waste water staff to site to collect samples to confirm that no raw sewage is present. I question how can he make a definite statement that there is no sewage present, but then decide that he is going to test samples. I would have thought the testing would have come before he denied there was sewage present. Were samples taken? What were the results? The letter from Mr. McQuaig then proceeded to advise that any slander or misinformation brought against the town shall result in their legal counsel becoming involved. March 14th, sewage runoff again from a non-working lift pump above. Called Mr. McQuaig, no answer. Sent Mr. McQuaig a text to call as soon as possible. Called Graytown to advise. Noel attempted to call Butch and left a message. Noel went above again to check and found the lift pump not working and sewage pouring out again. Shortly thereafter, town workers showed up to repair system. When speaking with Mr. McQuaig at a later date, he again advised that he knew nothing of this incident. There was so much sewage runoff and the smell was so bad, we had to close our shop for four days. The town created a situation where the general public was exposed to raw sewage, not only in our parking lot, but also on the street and sidewalk, and they did not issue any warnings or cautions. April 21st, spoke with Ken Tenson and advised him shed goes up a quarter of an inch every week. The area is very wet, no room to operate. Ken advised there would be an update this week so then the town could decide what action they would take. He will advise Mr. McQuaid again of our issues with the size of our lot and troubles we are having. April 28th, we spoke with Mr. McQuaid and he advised the slump and advised him that the slump was increasing. There was no room for our equipment, no place for our workers to park, not enter the soup cans, lot area still very wet, sewage smell was extremely bad, difficulty again getting into the back door of our shop and the slump rising and wanted to know the plans. We were trying to run a business. He said he would be meeting with Parkland today and that he would be issuing Noel and I an update after the meeting. He said they had a meeting four to five weeks ago, but not much to advise from that. May 4th, we received a joint email addressed to Val McLaren and myself, attaching a copy of the project update presented to council this week, which is now public record. Mr. McQuaig further advised that he is hoping to have the final report this week so he can pass that information along. May 16th, Colin spoke to Ken Tenzin to advise him the dirt at the back door is pretty much close to a foot above the ground. There is groundwater coming into the shop from the runoff directly behind and above us. We had to create a small moat to redirect the water away from the shop back door. Almost three weeks has gone by since we were told we would have a final report. Parkland's project memo that was received by us on May 4th was dated March 21st. And it says this is an update. Where is the initial memo? Why was there such a delay in getting this to us? We have not been advised of any final report, what the scope of work being performed is, 
when and how this will affect our land and our business, and will this be a permanent fix or merely a band-aid for the time being? What is being done with the pumping, with the pumping sewer from a half-open manhole above to another half-open manhole which is above ground to the high school stairs? There appears to be continued risk of sewage overflow and seepage into the hill for what would appear to be a sewage-triggered landslide. Have all the manholes buried under three plus feet of roadbed in many cases now been uncovered? Where are the catch, where are the catch basins in the parking lot of Hillcrest emptying into? The Sorquake advises in his brief note to in his briefing note to council that consultation continues with us to keep us informed of the status of the project. This is clearly not the case. Unless your definition of consultation is a few email requests of us and replies back stating no report is available yet. It's been almost five months since the town removed the slumping material at the back door of our shop in the north side and the height levels of that slump material continue to rise and is at the same level and in some areas now even higher than what the town originally removed back in December of 30th. We had repeated assurances from the town their land agent and from Parkland that the continued slope materials would be removed from our land. This has not occurred and despite assurance that the town would continue to monitor the situation, clearly that is not happening. This slope continues to impede on our property and the slope materials are increasingly rising each week. The entry to our back door is becoming problematic as is entry into our seat cans, where our inventory is stored, along with the back shed that is so high in the air, the power line has been pulled off and entry is extremely problematic. Those are some of the pictures that I've labeled for you the, towards the ending. We have been extremely patient for what has become and remains an uphill battle We've had to live through not one, not two, but three sewage runoffs onto our land from above. This is not groundwater. Groundwater is a continuous flow. It doesn't happen all of a sudden, whereby one day a parking lot has become a skating rink. Clearly, it would be our observation that we are not part of the remediation plan. Besides our home, our business property and buildings are our greatest investment and is the primary source of our whole income. This has been our livelihood for the past 16 years and has been without any geotechnical issues. Our building and property footprint have been compromised. Our land in its current state is worthless. We cannot sell it. We want our land back to its original state. We want to be able to get in our back door. We want to be able to get into our sea cans we want to be able to park our vehicles with the trailers attached. We want our sign straight. We have given you enough time to come up with a plan. If the town is serious in its intent to find a solution that is beneficial to ourselves and to the town of Peace River, then we would ask you to give due and proper consideration to our offer. If accepted, it would remove us from the situation and would allow the town of Peace River free and open access to carry on whatever testing and remediation may deem necessary. 
or to continue to let the issue sit with no potential repercussions as they are their own landowner. I would reaffirm our interest is an immediate resolution to this matter, but we do not believe it is fair that a small, independent, family-owned business should be made to suffer the consequences or carry the burden of problems or actions that we believe were created by the town of Peace River. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. We've provided you with our novel. Thank you for your time. Any other questions from counselors? Did you did you send that um, summary to with your? I know we got your pictures, but your summary? No. Can we get a cop copy of that? Sure. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Can you just email it to? I can Bruce? just email. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Um, I've got one. Uh, the um, figure that you mentioned, that is for the land or the land and business? Land and building and um, for us to set up somewhere else. But land and building. And um, you bought this 16 years ago? Mm -hmm. Even more so before that. Okay. And the improvements that were done on it were the building and then the, I didn't realize there was a shed behind your building sort of thing. It's just a portable shed that was there and that we put there yeah. and the sea cans. Yeah. Okay. I have a follow-up question to Deputy Mayor Manzer's uh, question. So 16 years, you, 16 years ago, you, uh, you bought the Our business? Shop. Our shop was built 16 years ago. Okay, so but you've owned and operated that shop for for the entire, yes. entire life. Yeah. Um, when the municipal planning commission issued their development permit, was there a requirement to do a geotechnical report? No, that was discussed at the appeal, the second appeal that we went to. Our development permit was was issued with no conditions. And so the next question is, uh, notwithstanding the uh, the uh, the development permit was, did you uh, did you do a geotechnical report? No. Okay. I don't. I don't have the information from the second appeal hearing because I wasn't able to attend that hearing. But you had built the property, built the shop, you said 16 years ago. Have you had any issues with sliding before? No. Okay, on page see, one, two, three, four, five, page seven, on page nine. Because I'm, I'm, I go, I go, I've gone to the shop before because I've wanted one of one of the customers. But that picture on the bottom of page seven and on the top of page nine, I'm assuming that's the same seat count.
one pictures. So yeah, so this picture here. Yeah. And then on page, oops, sorry. And then on page nine, it would be the picture where it shows the two back doors of the C can, but I'm referring to the top picture. They, the, the, they are the same sea cans. Okay, so am I am I assuming correctly that that side of sea can where those concrete blocks are face, um, face east to face the shop. If you're looking, if I'm standing on a street, if the sea cans weren't there, you could see them. Okay, so that those cement blocks are at the shop, or probably on the far side of the sea can, so you wouldn't see them from the sea can. So they're actually facing towards the toe of the slide. Why were they put there? They were initially put there. There weren't a retaining wall. We were going to do bark and gravel. So those were going to be the wall that would close that all off and border to it. That oh, okay, for that. Oh, okay, yeah. so like that same build. question was asked at the appeal. Okay. Good. Any others? Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. and Mrs. Gendon. Thank you. That will take us to uh, everything for new business. And, well, assuming we have no unfinished business, uh, the first item under new business is briefing note regarding 99th Street slide. Oh, we have a bylaw, okay. Uh, that takes us to bylaws, excuse me. Uh, bylaw 1998, uh, this is the one that we just had the public hearing on. Um, so, town illustration is looking for second and third reading, I think. Actually, first, second, and third reading. First, second, and third. In, in between, have, have anyone come up with more questions on this bylaw? I'm still confused by being asked as council to prove a subdivision when the subdivision may or may not be approved by the development appeal board. Like to me, sorry, can I jump in? Your the decision before you is rezoning under the land use bylaw. The subdivision authority will prove the subdivision if all of the subdivision requirements are met. This is one of those requirements to allow the subdivision authority to make that approval. This is not for a request before council to make a decision on the subdivision application. This is a request to make a decision on the rezoning under the land use bylaw. But I guess where I'm struggling with trying to understand this, like I don't believe as council we should approve something that not is it's not going to be approved down the road or cannot be approved because it doesn't meet with any other jurisdictional issues and I, I, I know for for my day job that any subdivision for a residential property has to meet certain criteria so better health services in terms of sewer and water that kind of stuff and so until I'm assured that this subdivision as proposed will will meet that I'm going why should we even be asked to 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 make a decision as a council I'm not acting as the subdivision authority so I don't have the same familiarity with the application that they do however it is my understanding that this is the only outstanding item based on the subdivision regulations and the fact that this is an existing property with an existing development on it 
the property in question is not connected to the town's sanitary system, but the sanitary system in place on the property is adequate and does allow for the subdivision to be approved. Like, do you guys know that, Councillor Sachek? Do you, do you like, is this been? So the, this this property is a one point some acres of land, right? That's correct. My property at my place where mine was when I had my own septic system there was just over half an acre, and it was properly distanced from the from the boundary, and I was able to have my own system and my own water system. So I'm sure, as Alicia says, there's definitely enough room for it, and depending on what kind of system it is. You know, if it's a pump out, there's a, even requires even less system. Um, she's right. It's it's the subdivision. I said, take a look at that. All we're doing is allowing a land use. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on the area. Thing like most subdivisions I've seen, they're over three acres to get sufficient area to have have their. That's for a specific type of sanitary system, which is not necessarily the sanitary system in this case. And in this particular case, because it's right next to the river, they could just run a line down and put the sewage into the river then if that's the system they like to put in, if, no. if they don't get caught. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've seen a number of those those those, those kinds of systems. So they, they would be restricted to doing uh, a straight septic tank type system. They, like they may have enough property, they probably would have enough property to do a tank and field but they would not have enough room to do uh, a tank and a pump out type system or because uh, that would include what you're describing as well, one that would feed back into a river system, which they wouldn't be allowed to do anyway. But so they'd be restricted and that would be under the development review, they would look at that at that point. All right, I, I guess to me, this is an out of the situation to look at, like there's a, that plot yeah. And don't forget allowed that. to proceed and then now yeah. there's issues with and then is the town going to be held held accountable 10 20 30 years down the road because you know the so as long as they're meeting the current setback requirements under the private sewerage uh direction uh for the type of sanitary system that they have as long as they're meeting that even though that that subject tank is in place once you subdivide you're right they have to meet those setback requirements okay. so as long as those are met Okay, all right, thank you. So, Your Worship, could we just carry this conversation on to the, the development officer and Jim McQuaid? So, if this is defeated, what happens? If this is defeated, then the town doesn't have sufficient, or the subdivision authority won't be able to make a decision in favor of the subdivision application as it stands. If the applicant were to undertake a geotechnical study which supported the subdivision application then the subdivision authority would be able to but they don't wish to do that because they don't have any intent of further development at this time so by changing the zoning we're removing that requirement at this time and if in the future development were to happen then zoning would have to change and that requirement could be met at that time this is a case of who blinks first um... So just refresh my memory, was this application not a, batter, a matter of um, legal counsels meeting with yourselves some time ago uh, on an estate that was being settled in town? Is this the same parcel of land and is that the same meeting? Or am I confusing yeah. looking at Mr. McQuaid here? Yeah, there was it's, a, there it's was the same a, one that you're, you're thinking of. It, 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 that was the, on 40. 
I want to be clear. There are, I know the, the estate that you're referring to, there are multiple parcels of land involved. So I, I'm not sure what that meeting was, but there, well, but there the reason I mention that is because there was quite a discussion about geotechnical at that time. And, and the recommendation from administration was not to do anything. And I recall that there was a meeting of the minds and, and here we sit today and I'm, this appears to be a somewhat different recommendation than. As in, my recollection was that was back when they wanted to, so they wanted it all R1. And that's why we were requiring the geotech. But if it was urban reserve, then there was no need because it wouldn't be developed as residential lands at this point. Exactly. That's so correct. At that time, the recommendation was geotech because of the zoning in place. They have agreed to change the zoning. Therefore, administration's concern is alleviated. So we can move forward. Was that not our suggestion? It was, it was administration's suggestion to the landowner that this is the way to allow them to move forward and to remove administration's concerns with the subdivision. As it relates to the geotech and, and the stability of everything there? That's right. Okay. So if there's any development to, be, to happen on this property, it would have to be rezoned again, and then a geotechnical would have to be done at that time. That's right. Okay. And we're absolutely clear that that's going to be the case. As long as I'm the engineer, Mr. D. Yes. So, so you you put you put your PNG on the line for this? Yes. Okay. So the bylaw was advertised for two weeks or for three weeks in the paper, um, and we have received no comments. Uh, the bylaw did not go forward to council for first reading because it was coming from administration. So we've followed the process outlined in our land use bylaw. And so we're at the point now where we're asking council to provide first, second, and third reading, which you are able to do because it has been properly advertised, provided that the first and second readings are unanimous. I put a motion on the floor to provide first reading to uh, bylaw Amendment to the land use bylaw number 
our director of engineering will lead the discussion on this. Evening, your worship and council. Just wanted to provide uh, an update to uh, what I the information presented on the first of May, uh, twenty seventeen, and just give you an update of where we're at on the this slide. Um, so I have re received a draft final report from Park One Geo, which I uh, went through over the weekend, uh, and kind of. And then had a subsequent uh, discussion with Parkland Geo on their report. Uh, they still have a little bit of work to do. Uh, the struggle that they find themselves in right now is just finding a pile wall design that is actually going to, to work properly up on 99th Street. And I've given them a couple additional questions uh, on that as well. The other uh, item that isn't in this final report is the preliminary costs uh, to remediate the slide. But as I mentioned uh, on the 1st of May, we're still looking at uh, two pile wall systems. One is the primary pile wall system that's going to be located on 99th Street. And then there will be an intermediate pile wall further down the slope. And those two pile walls will work together as one to retain that slope up there. Uh, a couple of questions I've kind of gone back to Parkland Geo with is more around uh, relocating the underground infrastructure in 99th Street and to see if that was still feasible, uh, given that they've had some struggles in trying to get that pile wall design done. And if we kind of take that and relocate it, does that uh, give us a little more room on that pile wall design? So they're uh, taking that and, and doing some uh, model updates this week on that one to provide uh, some feedback to us. Uh, at this point, uh, we still note that the two slope indicators, uh, one is 1607, which is between the condo building and the parking lot. Uh, we're still not showing any movement there. And then the, the slope indicator that's down towards the reservoir and there's no movement in that slope. All the other uh, Slope indicators we have still showing uh, some movement, uh, not as progressive as it has been, but you know if we get uh, some heavy rains, uh, that could could uh, change, and we're keep to monitoring that as we go through. And Parkland Geo are uh, monitoring that on a weekly basis at this point. I have stated at Parkland Geo that you know we've got to get moving on this. I want to get construction of these pile walls done this year, so I'm trying to push them to get us get their designs cleaned up within the next week or two, so that we can kind of go out to pre-qualified contractors uh, to solicit bids to get this pile wall construction done, so we can uh, look at start of construction towards the, the beginning of July at this point. Uh, also in conversation with Lossy Engineering on the infrastructure uh, for the sanitary and the storm and the water lines on their relocations. And once I have the finalized pile wall design, I can finish up uh, that design with Lossy Engineering and get, and get that uh, work uh, tendered out as well.
Uh, as noted before, the, uh, the last uh, information sent to Council on the 1st of May 2017, including the geotechnical report, I have provided copies of those reports uh, to the Gagnons and also to the Condor Association as well to, to keep them informed. I just curious, I mean, personally, having involved the work with these kind of studies, it's not unusual for, for a study like this to take six months, contrary to the opinion. What's your experience? Do you find it? And it, it's all dependent upon what type of slide you're dealing with and the type of mechanics that you're dealing with. This one here is a fairly complex slide. It's a deep rotational slide. And, and also dealing with two slick and slide surfaces. You know, we're seeing within this slide, you've got two sources that you're trying to arrest and remediate. It makes it a little more complex to deal with. And I think that's that's the struggle that Parkland Geo is kind of up against right now, is trying to find, you know, a pile wall structure that is going to uh, to work in that instance. And I think we're, we're fairly close. We're uh, the upper pile wall, we're looking at the pile wall structure, and probably look about 60 meters in length with three tiers of soil anchors back into the slope. And in your briefing, you talked about uh, geoengineered soil. Like, can you elaborate? So yeah, basically uh, what we have in the uh, fairly high, high plastic clays that are in that soil right now. And so uh, which tend to retain water, but also when they do get wet, wet you know, they're fairly, uh, fairly slippery for lack of a better term. Uh, but, uh, and especially when you have that on the gravel subsurface below, and it's basically just kind of, uh, same as putting a pad of butter on a set of marbles, and there's no stability in it whatsoever. So we need to be able to take out a lot of that slide material and put back some, uh, some uh, higher strength materials, uh, play some, uh, gradient fill in with that so putting in things like uh, some large fracture uh, rock and boulder in there would, would probably help to alleviate that as well and that's part of what you know and that's not my area of expertise uh, and that's one of the reasons you know I wanted to re retain a geotechnical is to provide me with that expertise because that's quite one thing in my military engineering background that I don't really have a, a, a good strength on is that piece there. So that's why I'm kind of relying on Parkland Geo to provide me that information. I think most geotechnical engineers tend to have the highest liability insurance just because it's so difficult to deal with that. So. Um, okay, so in the report here, it mentions that there these two, the O3 and the O7, there's no no movement in those two particular sites, but did I hear you that there was movement in some of the rest? Yes, there continues to be movement in the other ones, uh, up to about seven millimeters. Uh, seven millimeters. I'd have to look at what the actual numbers were on that. But there is some movement, but it's you know in millimeters per 
And um, with respect to the sewer lines and that sort of thing, um, the last time that some sewage went down the hill improperly would have been when? Uh, that went there, uh, went partially down the slope that I know of, went going back into talking to Public Works and they recovered all that. Uh, like in both the occasions that uh, we went, that the sewage was noted on the Daniels property, what did send our wastewater people up to take samples up there to confirm if there are coliforms uh, that were in in that uh, in that water that was coming off, and they came back. Their coliform limit was both in within limits off of that, but there could have also been sulfurs that were mixed in with that soil water as well. Um, so I guess my concern with all of this is no matter what, we need to put up some sort of stabilizing um, element to keep the hill from yes. moving further. Uh, we need to do something about the sewer line. Yes. And there's a water line there as well? There is. The water line we've uh, actually relocated to the back of the building, but if we want to put it back exactly where it was, uh, you know, that we would look at that option as well. But it's relocated in more of the sanitary line and the storm sewer line. Those are the two chief ones that we have to look at relocating. Okay, and um, from the two landowners, uh, the town and the Gagnons, like I, I would think we would, um, well, we're both obviously very concerned about the what's happening there, but I, in my personal opinion, I think maybe we need a bit of a discussion about uh, the whole situation again, sort of thing. Yeah, I agree with the deputy mayor on that one. I don't know if that's something that needs to be in camera or what, but. We'll have to be put on a different agenda. So another question, Jim. The right-of-way, have you figured out what right-of-way is going to require there? I mean, I'm assuming that it'll be easiest to access through the Gangnam property to build that retaining wall. And basically we'd probably look at coming down the other side of the Gangnam's property, like where that power line is coming down on the other side. We, we do have supposed storm line in there, but uh, that's what's shown on our asphalts. But I have not found a storm line in there to date. Uh, and we're trying to also this spring, trying to work at uh, finding, there's supposed to be a manhole somewhere under there, but you know, uh, public works haven't been able to locate that when I was in yet. And so part of our program this spring was to clean that out, take the shoot a camera down that one storm line and see how far it goes down. That hasn't been done yet? Like... Well, uh, we haven't done that portion yet. Okay, I guess that's what I get at. Like, because <laughs> there's what, the storm sewer line has to go from up above down to 99th Street and and the uh, sewage line and right now like do you have an alignment or right away to, to put those or, or they gonna have to work around that when they do this the wall or no I think because we own the property the side it so we we're looking coming down that the side, side to the south to the north of the north 
but the, the sand, like the sanitary line we were looking at relocating back up towards the stairs and pulling back up that way and then coming straight down where the stairs are right now pulling it into there and intercepting that, that intermediate manhole that's there so and part part of the program would be to where the manhole uh, is below the condo that's the sanitary manhole that one there's bugged off and that's the one that where you've got the sewage pump in that's pumping over to the stairwell. So uh, in conversation with Velocity, you know, the design that we have is to come back up 99th Street, like not to cross into the slide mass. I, I, I gotta cut you off there, Mr. McClay, because this is getting to be too detailed and this isn't and your agenda item was to pre present an update on on this particular 99th Street, I don't think anyone can follow follow that kind of detail. So uh, we will. Uh, if there's any further discussion to be had on this, we'll uh, put it to a, to the next town meeting of town council. And uh, thank you, Jim. Mr. Mr. Burr can afford uh, you his sh should uh, show you the courtesy of sending you the questions beforehand before we get bogged down into. Uh, Hour long, seven hour on uh, geotechnical stability. Okay, uh, motion to accept your information. All in favor of Mr. Ford's motion? Uh, I believe you're up for the next item, Mr. McQuaid. This is a request for decision on the 2016 new infrastructure renewal program. Street lighting upgrade. Here, worship council. Try not to be as wordy as the last one. Uh, I wasn't criticizing you. Oh, well, no worries, sir. I'm just here to answer the questions. Uh, before you, uh, we have is a request for a decision for an electric upgrade on 86th Avenue as part of the neighborhood infrastructure renewal project. And going through the neighborhood infrastructure renewal project, we did open up uh, to the utilities the possibility of uh, taking advantage while we have roads open up, uh, the chance to do work for, for their utilities. And in this case, uh, it was ACO Electric uh, and basically, question posed to them, okay, if you have the chance to have it open, you know, what would you do, what could you do? Uh, so they came back and said, well, we can underground uh, the existing overhead electrical for the street lighting and also looking at the life cycle of the lighting in there, they would like to take advantage of that and upgrade uh, the system to an LED uh, lighting program through there. So as part of that, they also uh, offered the chance uh, to look at more of a residential type fixture through there. So getting away from the standard Cobra head fixture through there. Uh, so they did uh, take that information and came back and provided us with a quotation, uh, a ballpark quotation to uh, accomplish that of $66,572. So that would be to underground the line and also uh, new data poles and as part of this they would also look at the lighting design for the street and readjust 
the street lighting to have a more even uh, street light uh, distribution through there. As part of that, we also had to consider, uh, since ATCO didn't have the ability to, to do their own trenching work, uh, we looked at uh, the contract that, that was retained for the neighborhood infrastructure project in Armstrong, uh, what their price would be to provide trenching services to accomplish uh, the underground program that ATCO Electric would be undertaking. And then, uh, so Armstrong Construction came back with uh, two prices. One was 15237 to do uh, a boring program through uh, directional drilling. Uh, and then if they were to use a standard uh, open cut trench method, it would be 19500 So this amount wasn't included in the original budget. Uh, however, uh, we do have a little bit of room in our contingency uh, to accomplish the work. And that's what we've kind of looked at right there is, you know, what our current contract is. Uh, we did have some initial savings off our initial contract uh, by taking some of the elective work out uh, when we initially visited the project. So we're at 2,034,419 2, for that. Uh, we, as part of that, we did allow for an $80,000 contingency. So uh, of that, we have 77,900 left because we've already issued one change notice for $2,100. So uh, pay for the Armstrong portion of the work, we do have uh, that ability to absorb that $15,237. So I presented two options there for you. One is to either accept, or option two is to do not accept uh, the proposal. Uh, if we don't accept ACO electric proposal, I would still go back and, and see, according to their life cycle program, and they use the existing overhead wiring uh, and the existing structures and upgrade uh, to an LED head uh, with those. So uh, we may be able to do a little bit there, but uh, if you're looking for something to correct the, the lighting distribution through the neighborhood and, up, and kind of uh, upgrading the whole neighborhood as a whole, then option one would be uh, a more prudent uh, option there. So, questions yeah. Mr. McLean? Um, yes. So with respect to ATCO, first of all, is there a significant difference in the prices of the, the Cobra lights versus what they're recommending here? There, there is a price, uh, and I'd have to look up the price per pole. Like which is more expensive? The, the decorative uh, poles are, would be more expensive. And if we were to go with these decorative poles, are they in any way so special that um, They'll be so unique that it'll be hard to get a part or something for them in the future. No, uh, this is the decorative pole that we chose is one of ACO's standard decorative poles. So, uh, we, in conversation with ACO, and they're basically the same pole that we're looking at for North Prince Houses. And could perhaps other councillors clarify neighborhood um, enhancement projects? We had a discussion, I thought, about. Um, whether neighborhoods could decide if they wanted lights. And then I'm a little fuzzy on whether or not the 
property owners would be paying for that, or the town would, or a combination thereof? Well, maybe I can that? answer that. So the, uh, I don't believe the current policy addresses that. The City of Edmonton policy is uh, sidewalks and, uh, and light poles are, uh, are uh, an optional item, but it's a 50-50 cost between the, uh, the uh, in this case, the city and the uh, property owners. So, maybe that's uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah, so. Thanks. We, we haven't ha quite hammered out this policy. Um, I guess this does go somewhat towards our, we haven't put it down on paper, our program of uh, reducing greenhouse gases, i.e. Uh, less energy. Uh, but there, these are only nine existing streetlights though, right? That's correct, Your Worship. And I wonder exactly would you be putting them? I, I'm not quite understanding that. But well, we would stop. Which is. That's, I have a question. Like, I counted at lunchtime. There's actually only six poles because they're the culverts, which are up. In theory, they're higher, so they get a wider area. I'm assuming that when you go to those regular ones, they're not as high. And then in our neighborhood, because of all the trees, you know, if I come them, you might as well even have the light because it's right inside a tree. So most light never actually reaches the ground. Yeah. And that's one of the things we looked at as part of this and discussed with that code that it would lower that and get the light more onto the sidewalks. Yeah. Well, in my recollection, we had the neighborhood meeting before this started and I talked to one of, one of our neighbors or owners in the house. This was the idea of going with this and most people in the street nixed it as an optional thing they didn't think they wanted to go that right route. And now this may change the dynamics if at some point they're gonna to have to replace those lights. And I guess that's a second question. Like I thought ACO owned the infrastructure and we just allowed them to put it there. And so from this discussion or your information, those Cobra standards we own and they maintain and when they determine they need to be replaced, we pay. So that one there, if it is a standard Cobra head and with the LED, that is part of our street light uh, program that we have with NACO and they replace, they will replace the, the davit and the light according to what, whatever life cycle they've uh, established for that. Uh, we do pay a bit of a premium on the, where we're going to a decorative pole. That's where the difference is uh, within that is, is the actual pole structure, not so much the light itself. But last, like last fall or last summer, whatever, I mean, I, I noticed that someone had gone around and claimed the base of all the standards. And when I talked yes. to the district manager at AUMA, she was saying that they'd done assessment, they were going to provide the town, and I'm assuming you've got this, of, of the reports documenting the status of the light standards and which uh, of the Cobra poles they had to replace. Have, have they provided that information to the town yet? I'm trying to call not sure. Mr. 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 Town, well. No, they, our last discussion with that, they've identified that there's a number of lights that they plan on replacing this year. I believe it was 50 or 60, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
but they haven't specified exactly which one. So my question is, if they're going to replace them down there and we're not going to have the opportunity to go to the new standard or the new poles, they're going to replace them where they are, which according to Mr. Burr is not the optimum situation. So my theory is for $66,000, why not have it done and get them in the right place and get the LED lights with no overhead wires and get that street finished. So I guess my question is, will the residents want these new decorative lights? Why would they complain if they're not paying for them? Uh, well, perhaps they like the old-fashioned light, the other, the other lights. So what we're so this is, this is, this is, this is public consultation uh, as we've decided it, right? That's correct. And. One thing to note too is, you know, uh, as ATCO moves forward with their life cycle program, uh, all the lights will be changing to LEDs, so they will be losing that ability to have the old style high pressure sodium lights too. Anyway, so at some point they will be moving to the LED so, lights. So you have a, uh, do you have an email list of all these people that are on this particular street that if they can do a, I guess a, a poll? I, I can do that. And then, uh, so then the other question is, do we, do we pay the full sixty-six thousand, or do we, do we ask them to pop in fifty percent? I would think that could be option per question, right? So we'll uh, go around the table, Mr. Nunes. So what we have community meeting starting tomorrow night, just refresh my memory which so which okay which neighborhood date would line up with this is that i'm sorry i i, I just wrote down the dates that well, in our neighborhood yeah and, but this is just a specific street though uh, i what i was i would expect that when when this particular neighborhood comes up this would just be an opportune time to as we listen to ratepayers' concern in the evening, this would be an opportune time to simply say, uh, or maybe provide an update on the um, on the project. I mean, there's been trees have been removed. Uh, you're, you're making an assumption that somebody from the street is even going to show up. Yeah, I, 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 silly me. We're going to consult, and somebody will show up. I should have known better. But uh, I, I'm, I, I would. Certainly throw it out there, I guess, is what I'm saying. So do you, do you want the town to pay for it? Or oh, yeah, you want that's, to that's fine. Cost? Yeah, that, that's fine. I, I, I thought that this always so was part don't of... Don't forget, uh, if we may end up setting a precedent, then anytime we go into a neighborhood, we, uh, we have an obligation to pay for 100% uh, of the lighting being done. Yeah, I, I, I always thought that Street lights were part of the neighborhood program, at least in, in my mind. When you spoke about the Edmonton model, I didn't realize that they had a local improvement 50-50, but if these funds can be found through other efficiencies and other projects, I'm fine. I, 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 I guess to answer the question, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Well, I know your answer. <laughs> Do your, I, I guess I agree with you, Your Worship, that I have an issue with this set in the press, and I'm not sure that we want to cover all lights on on this program. 
I think that's something I personally would see that as, a, as an improvement that people should be able to get recoup some of their investment. I have talked to one person who would be in favor of it. She questioned whether everyone else in the neighborhood would want to do that. There's a number of people on, on that block that are retired that are on limited incomes. And so any increase in their, you know, what do you call it, the local improvement tax could potentially be an issue. But I, I'd be personally interested in seeing what, what the people in the neighborhood say. And I'm not sure they respond to the email. I mean, I, I feel sorry for Armstrong. They started construction today. They still had to get people to move vehicles. One person, you know, didn't even get the handout. They took and delivered door to door to door to door, and they left it on, on their mailbox or someplace where they didn't even see it there. So I, I mean, we can try to consult. We can try to get information. I think, you know, our con the consultant and the contractor tried to do everything, and still people just refuse to be educated or learn about it. I, I just... I'm uh, definitely in favor of moving to the LED. Um, we should have done it a long time ago. As far as the, uh, I'm concerned about precedent, or uh, setting a precedent, however, um, if it's just the standard LED that they change out to, I, I'm fine with the town paying for that, except for if it's uh, a special uh, decorative lighting, then if it's something that that neighborhood wants, if they want that, spend the extra money on the on the decorative lighting then we could look at a, an alternative option so so what were the options again so we can we can just have echo put in led lights so the options would be uh the first option would be to go through and re uh position the existing davits with uh brand new davit poles and to be more of a, a decorative davit uh, we still have the, the cobra head type fixture at the top, which is about to be a little more of a residential oh, style. So, so the same style lamppost, but they'll yes. put how many lights in there. Yeah. And, that, and then the other option. That would be at no cost to the town? No, we would be paying for the decorative balance. Oh, okay. uh, so option number two is we uh, keep with the overhead wiring that we have on that street right now for the street lighting. Uh, reuse the, the same davits that are there, which is the typical metal kind of cobra head type davit, and then the cobra head, uh, they would change out the cobra head lighting according to their life cycle program to an LED fixture. Uh, and then maybe so, we need pictures, yeah, I do. Yeah, let's see. Uh, that wouldn't be helpful, but the. Uh, but uh, the other option is just put in these new lamp style lampposts, and I guess they look like gas light lampposts or what? Uh, no, we wouldn't be going into not like the decorative lights that we have downtown with that, uh, that style of fixture on top. It would be uh, just more of a decorative davit, but on top uh, would have more of a cobra head type fixture. And that doesn't cost us any more or any less? The, the fixture, no. It's just it's just the the, the diameter is the piece that costs us. Right, so it'd just be lower and supposedly have better lights. Yes. Mr. Sutton. I am a little concerned with that president. I you know, I see, again, like I said before, I see the value of getting this neighborhood up and running. I don't know if we have, do we have time to poll the neighbors before? I 
Does that mean that the school needs to know something, or what's the process with that? So right now, uh, we've been pretty quiet on asking for a response at this point. So if it's a case of one or two weeks, I think you know we can probably get a poll done within that time. But I guess the, the question back for council is, what should I pull them on? Should I just pulling them on getting it done? Uh, under town costs, or is it pulling them to see if they're willing to uh, cost share in, in the, the venture? Maybe you can do the polling email and get that done within a week, right? So this is just the PK's uh, uh, town and banking. Do most neighborhoods have wires connecting above ground wires connecting the light fixtures? We have a mixed uh, through town. Once you get over into the Saddleback area and Shaftesbury Estates, that's all on the ground. Uh, it's, it's mainly to the north end and to the south end. So are we saying like 50% of the of the streets in town have lights with? Well, I'd probably say it's more 35%. Okay. My first thought was on, the, on setting the precedent, that was a concern. But I mean, if we're talking about we're, we're dealing with two different issues. We're dealing with the decorative light fixture, but we're also dealing with the fact that there's wires above ground connecting these light fixtures, which is probably an issue. You have a tree fall or something like that. So I would be less inclined to worry about precedent setting on that because we're doing more than just replacing the head of the light fixture. And I don't know, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I sort of feel like that's like a heritage part of the community. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Isn't there something special about that street? That yeah, as far as as far as I'm concerned, that I wouldn't have any issue saying that we would put that put the decorative light posts on that particular street, being able to sort of defend that decision as a full cost measure if we needed to. Um, first of all, um, I don't know if I should ask the question or not, but uh, this whole process makes these lights on that street cheaper to operate, right? By doing something with them. Yes. Good. Um, I'm also in um, favor of having consistency in lights. So to me, that L-shaped street, which is I think what we're talking about, yes. same lights all along there. I'm in favor of the new ones. The height issue, I'm thinking there's no leaves in the winter time, so that won't be an issue there anyhow, so we need more. Um, I like the idea of no overhead lines, and I think the overhead line um, the zone is to one block north of that, and then everything north of that block is underground. And I'm really in favor of underground. So I think the town should pay for it, get it over with, then we have consistency and some control over the what we're getting from neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, let me summarize. So you, you're going to make a motion to, uh, which option are you? Is it, is this uh, the, recommendation, I believe. And, uh, and you want to make this a, so for all overhead lines, you want to, when we go in for a neighborhood renewal, you want the policy to say that we pay for taking down the overhead lines. I, I think it, if at all possible, we should look at that. Okay, that should be separate. So. Yeah. 
Why don't you start out with the big one and we'll, uh, and if it's voted down, then we'll go to the next well, option. Before she puts Wilson, I'm personally prepared to go talk to my neighbors. Like, it'll only take me three hours to be in that neighborhood or two and a half hours. That's when they, when they do heart and stroke, that's how long it takes to go through there. Just pull people and explain stuff, meet people door to door and do that stuff. So I'm prepared to do that if we can wait for a week or two and then come back when I find out if, if Jimmy, you can give me pictures showing the different options and then. We should try and do it before the next one. Or if you want me to come along with you, I'm willing to do that too. Okay. Oh, you got way too much work to do. You got, well, then I'm gonna you do got this a reflex to build. I'm gonna do this at night when you should be sleeping or. Well, and, and, and uh, I'm. I, I just have to emphasize the need for 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 that post. In the <laughs> I'm also wondering if Armstrong Construction has a certain time frame to do this or not. Rod, Rod will get it done. He he took a he took a petition around every house in town. So. So. So I'm not sure what we're so doing. So just anymore. do your motion. Okay, so my motion is that Council accept the ATCO estimate of $66,572 for streetlight and infrastructure work and Armstrong Construction's price of $15,237.50 with ATCO to be funded from the overall project contingency and the Armstrong portion to be funded by the project construction contingency. And um, that's my motion. And just just that, speaking to my motion, I'm understanding that's underground lines. Well, I'm not going to that out. If people find out, they'll slap me later if they find out. <laughs> but uh, that's your assessment of the street is probably. I'm not sure. I I suspect we may get a majority of people willing to do that. I. It's hard to say, but uh, I'm willing to go and ask. We don't. If okay. Why? Why don't we? Uh, we defer that motion to next week and do your public consultation. Sure. Uh, do you want to uh, do that? By the next public meeting, which is next Monday, is that right? Or next. So that's a special meeting next week. Monday. Oh, special. Well, we should just next week's a special meeting. We should just see if we want to. Yeah, we should. So there's no meeting then on the next one. Um, can we add this one on to that special meeting? We can advertise it right now. We have 24 hours. So I have a question for the deputy. You say you don't like different style lights. My understanding is that when they start replacing lights, they're going to replace not with the with the sodium. They're going to replace the fluorescent. So you could have a block of sodium with one fluorescent, which they're quite different because they're different. Which, which I understand, but in this neighborhood, they would have consistency because they're all being done at the same time. But I understand the other part too, yeah. So, and, and, uh, so um, what do we need to do to uh, table this motion to the special meeting on May 29th? Um, Autumn, what type of advertising have we done for the special meeting? We just have an event posting detailing that there is a special meeting that night. Same advertising we do around our regular council meetings. And that's occurred? Yes. Um, but it, it doesn't have any of the agenda hours. items, though. Okay. Two, two more 10 days, then.
Well, if we are, if we, we've, broken the, we've broken the law. Then you can have two special meetings same night. Yeah, we could do that too. So uh, are you uh, okay with deferring your motion to? Yeah, I might phone you for it. Oh, okay. May 29th. Well, I have a week. Yes, yeah. you can do that three hours. three hours. No problem. Well, I got to find three hours. <laughs> you can leave in half an hour. Okay, so we'll uh, defer that. Um, Ms. Suzanne, there's a motion to May 29th. Even if it means we need a second special meeting. Um, the next item on the agenda is. What's the next item? Grand Marshal. Grand Marshal. Oh, a uh, request for decision to have the mayor serve as Grand Marshal in 2017 Pride Parade. And that is, which which date is that? June 3rd, 4th? Or? June 10th, 11 a.m., 11.30. Okay, I, uh, I think I'll be able to do that. So uh, we'll take a motion to enable uh to enable me to attend that um i should just ask if uh if i'm unable to attend that how, how do you feel uh that the lbgtq community will feel if we substitute one of you guys in <laughs> i think they'll be okay with that don't you Oh, well, we specifically asked for the mayor. Okay, well, I'll try to be there. And if something happens uh, and I'm not able to attend, I will uh, I will uh, ask somebody to pitch pinch it. Well, we'll uh, we'll discuss it with the with the community, I guess. So a motion to enable the mayor then? Yeah. All in favor? Uh, the next one is a briefing note on the, on operating variances as of April 30th, 2017. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, to provide Council with relevant information and allow for better planning, a bi-monthly report uh, will focus on discussion favorable and unfavorable variances, identification of project year-end position, the projected year-end position, and rec recommendations for these amounts. Um, this briefing note goes on to explain that uh, the accounts are grouped uh, as activity areas, not by account, but individual accounts will be analyzed monthly and variances identified and um, explained at that time. So for general operations through four months of the year, the year-end position is projected to be a surplus of $22,800. This is made up of uh, the fact that revenues are, training, are trending as per budget with the exception of the airport. To date, total movements and passenger volumes are less than budgeted for, contributing to an unfavorable project, projection variance of $37,200, or approximately 10% uh, more than budgeted. This, these accounts are being closely monitored, and this variance may be adjusted positively or negatively depending on activities at the airport. Expenditures are trending as expected with the exception of utility costs. A favorable variance of $60,000 is projected. Uh, 
This represents our accounts at various town facilities uh, as we currently benefit from electricity rates significantly less than what we're budgeted for. Uh, these are uh, preliminary estimates, but staff are very confident in reporting these amounts and will continue to track changes throughout the year. Question one the operating rates. Another problem with my PDF and uh, rotating it on earlier. Right. So, this was operating revenues, and uh, so water billings are quite positive. That everything in uh, brackets is, is a positive variance, right? Or do I have that the wrong way around? For the revenues? Well, I'm on uh, 2017 operating variance reports, and this is the ledger. Is it the revenue part, though? So I have a variance. So water billings, the variance is, is in brackets, 164,885. So that's positive variance, right? Correct. Actually, I'll interject here. Um, anything that's a negative variance is a negative amount on the revenues. So um, right now, water buildings are showing a negative or unfavorable amount of 164,000. If you go to below where wastewater buildings are, that's showing a positive of 123,621. Okay. Um, so if you take those two items, and again, there's an internal allocation issue that we need to correct um, because we're not the, the percentage between the water and wastewater changed this year and that hasn't been picked up for this report so that'll be corrected on future reports and the um, when you take both those amounts the variance is quite smaller and um, any difference to actual year-to-date budget is probably just a timing issue um, but they'll be corrected on future reports we're at, at this point we're fairly confident we'll be able to achieve our water and wastewater budgets So everything in the brackets is a negative variance. Okay. And uh, so what you're telling me is council has a negative variance. And we need to pull up our socks. But administrative services is doing all right. So of course to be difficult, expenditures are the opposite. Anything that is a negative amount here is under budget. Or savings. So council's so, doing well. So council's doing well. Administration is over budget on their wages and benefits. And to be honest, this is something we had identified but hadn't changed. Um, these are WCV premiums for the first three months of the year that have only been charged to administrative services and need to be allocated out to different departments. Um, so once you take those out and reallocate them to different areas, um, administrative services would be pretty close to budget. And if you look at the other departments, the vast majority of their wages and benefits will all be under budget by, by um, you know, that three, four percent range. But many of these items, the rate we spend or the amount re revenue comes in varies throughout the year, right? Like for the council stuff, I suspect one of our big expenses is, is when they have the AUMA where the councils attend, then we're 
more expenditures. So we, you can't just look at this and say, well, we're quarter through, quarter or third way through the year, we're still good. I mean, it depends really what expenditures or revenues come into the balance of the year. Yes, and I would agree. And um, as meetings come up, we've been pretty quiet or steady on the meeting front. Yeah. There's going to be more, more meetings, more um, conferences, those types of items, more costs. Um, as we go through, when we get into budget time, when we're doing extra meetings during November, December, you know, those costs will be, will be picking up. So right now it's trending below where you might expect. Um, but we, I would suggest that when we get towards the year end, it's going to be fairly close to the budgeted amount. But what you're doing is you're comparing the actual to the, the budget year to date. So that you're, you're factoring in highs and lows. Supposedly the budget factors in highs and lows. The budget, and it does. So what we try to do from a budget year to date amount is we try to pick up on, on where monthly changes would be. So certain um, power is a good example. We don't budget that as a flat amount for 12 months. It's heavier at the first three months of the year and last three months of the year. And we, we budget that way. Um, we also do that in, for salaries and, and benefits, um, where it's generally a flat amount during the year, except for um, that extra two months during, from a staff point of view, where we get three pay periods, and we do factor that. Um, and there's some, but I, I kind of suspect that council stipends would be a, a flat amount throughout the year. We didn't try to um, do significant uh, Guesses on, on a budget to date amount. So, um, I that's why I the one reason why I asked about this bracket and non bracket is I look at the airport on whatever it is, the third page, and you so the actual is 269 and the budget was 282, so you're 12,000 to the good. So, I, I'm not quite understanding why you're saying that the airport is, a, is problematic. Airport revenues are under budget. Okay. That's the amount that we identify. Expenditures are, Expenditures are trending are towards what we would expect. Okay. Okay, that's the difference. Uh, for the next report, I'll try and make sure that good things are one way and bad things are another, so it's a little easier to, to follow. Apparently, I thought that was just an in and out, so why is our actual $6,000 over our budget? For expenditures? Uh, yeah. That's probably due to program timing, uh, when they're offering uh, different programs throughout the year. And the timing for the expenses for those programs. Quite a bit of money expenditure wise at the pool. Oh, yeah. Okay. Any other questions, Mr. Schramm, on the offer on the offering various reports? Okay. And the briefing note on capital variances, new business item number five. Um, the council's reading pleasure. Um, Providing a uh, bi-monthly report that will focus on the uh, financial status of the 2017 capital projects. Um, future reports can 
will be presented to the directors at their weekly meetings for updates on the, on the status of the report. And this uh, information will be summarized on the attached report uh, to provide additional information about each program. Okay, so uh, go to information systems. You spent uh, spent some monies there. Let's pick on the VOIP system. So, are you telling me that that system is now complete and uh, you you came in under budget by three thousand odd dollars? No, sir. The um, this report says actual year to date they've spent three thousand dollars thus far oh, on the program. Uh, there will be two additional columns. Uh, on the next report, one will be the status. It's ongoing, completed, on hold. Okay. That will. Uh, and that will be helpful. And then the next column will be uh, comments from the director to the project managers on um, where they think they're going to be. You know, any kind of information that they think council um, would benefit council. Uh, we'll make sure that those are added. Or even something that says they're ninety percent completed, or something to that effect. I've seen Mr. Harris has got out front and he spent most of his money. <laughs> yeah, we Smart guy. We had to take the rest. We got to start thinking. I give. So that, that's information that you'll be getting uh, every bi-monthly, and uh, if there's any additional items you wish to see on it, um, we'll incorporate it. We did put in. A call for approved changes that was requested by uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer, so we can see if there was any changes throughout the year on the amounts allocated for each program. Any questions, Mr. I think just to defend the fire department, I think um, Mr. Harris wanted to spend the money before Director McClague ended up doing it on his behalf. So. <laughs> Gone toward Davids or something like that. Very good. Yes. Mr. Mr. Harris is reading the body language on that. Um, that takes us to uh, the 2016 financial statement, and we have uh, Ms. Sherry. Sherry, remind me of your last name. Peterson. Peterson. Uh, Present the to make the public presentation of the 2016 financial statement. Hello, everybody. Um, so when I was here before, we went through the financial statements uh, page by page detail, and I'm not going to go through that again. Um, I just have some notes in front of me that's very very high level highlights of, of what is contained within uh, those those financial statements. Uh, so overall for the, the 2016 year, the consolidated operating expenses decreased uh, a little over 6%. Um, the operating expenses were about $4.5 million over budget, uh, but as we discussed when I was here before, uh, the majority of that amount is amortization or depreciation, which isn't budgeted for. Uh, so amortization is about 5.7 million um so if we back out that non non-cash item um then in reality the operating expenses were about 1.2 million uh below below the budget uh and most of that was in the contracted and general services area 
Um, a lot of that was transportation, of course, lower activity at, at the airport um, had a big impact there. Uh, also, protective services and recreation uh, were, were down from, from the 2015 numbers. Uh, the, the capital expenditures, uh, again, if we talk only town portion, not, not the consolidated amounts from um, Peace Regional Waste Management Company, uh, the capital expenditures were about 15 million less than they were in 2015, but of course 2015 was big airport year, uh, and, and so there wasn't nearly as much activity in, in 2016 related to that. The consolidated fund balances, so that's the accumulated surplus number um, that we balance everything to on the statements, increased by $3.2 million. Uh, the cash position increased by about $3.8 million. There was no new debt in 2016. Uh, the funding of reserves is at 97%. Um, and my calculation that I use for, for that is cash less uh, deferred revenues, which of course is cash you've received that's been set aside for specific projects. And I compare that to the reserve balances. So we're at 97% funded. The liquidity position, so basically your financial uh, assets uh, over your financial debt uh, increased by uh, 765,000. So, so that's good, you always want the liquidity to be there. Uh, reserves decreased by about 480,000. So, so use of some money. Uh, and again, we uh, discussed looking at the financial statements that there was some uh, transfers and consolidation of, of reserves. So when you look at the financial statements, you know, not all of those balances were, were paid out. Some of them were just moved into, into other funds. Um, when we look at the, the debt limits, so we've uh, dropped uh, the amount of total debt limit used, so we're now sitting at 36% of, of the maximum amount. Um, and the debt servicing limit um, has been uh, reduced down to 25%. So there's reasonable borrowing capacity available uh, in, in the near future if, if required. Um, so total debenture debt um, tied to that decreased from 13 uh, to 12, so basically a million dollars in debt payments uh, over the year. As I mentioned, there was no new debt uh, in the year, so the change was, was strictly new to, due to those payments. Um, so, you know, on an overall position, I'd say that the um, financial picture of, of the town is stable. Um, you know, as with any place, there's always challenges for the future. We want to make sure uh, maintain liquidity, you know, want to make sure that we're uh, collecting receivables and, and uh, things like that. Uh, funding for capital plans um, and, you know, reading some of the changes for the MGA, you know, they're really wanting those five-year and ten-year capital uh, plans to be there and, and so you want to make sure that you're doing planning for how those are going to be funded as well. Um, and, and like I say, funding the reserves. We're at 97%, but I always like it to be 100 so, so we've got a little room to, to work on that one. And any questions, uh, Ms. Peterson? Would you look at, if, when we have our five-year and ten-year capital plans, would that be something you would look at as part of your process in any way? Um, I do. It, it's not really something that we is included in our auditor's report. Um, but it, it does sort of help explain some of the things if, you know, you're putting aside money for reserves. Okay, well, what's the purpose of that? What's the capital projects? Things like that. 
Um, the deferred revenue you've got sitting there, what, what is that going to be applied to in, in your future projects? So, so it factors into those two places for sure. questions maybe a motion to approve the 2016 uh, financial audit I'll make that motion your worship would that be the proper language the 2016 financial audit audited financial statements audited finance the 2016 audited financial statements all in favor of Councilor Murray's motion Sherry, do you have a copy that does not say draft? I can bring you, I'll print out the good ones and bring it tomorrow. Because um, there'll be the emperor and, and things like that as well. Okay, thank you. And they will put it up on the website right away. <laughs> People are waiting with bated breath. Uh, maybe just, uh, uh, just going back to items four and five, could I get a motion to accept the briefing note regarding operating variances for information? Uh, so moved, Your Worship. All in favor? And another motion uh, to accept the briefing note regarding capital variances of information. All we can do that one as well. All in favor of Councillor Newton's motion. Uh, number seven, uh, that item has been moved to uh, the informational section. And so that takes us right to item number eight. Uh, this is Peace Regional Waste Management Capital Project Funding. Um, I don't know if you want to handle this or whether I should handle this, or Mr. Burr should handle this, seeing that he's the vice chair of the piece. Say what? <laughs> uh, well, I'll uh, call that work and... Well, I could answer, I think. Well, um, I, I think this is pretty straightforward. So, uh, <coughs> Regional Waste Management Company, uh, there was concern expressed uh, by the chair, Doug uh, Dallin, um, that we that the Peace Regional Waste Management Company would not have enough cash on hand to finance a five-cell expansion to their industrial uh, landfill. And uh, he wrote a letter with uh, the approval of the board to uh, ask um, if the other, uh, if uh, the the uh, partner municipalities would be uh, willing to do the borrowing for us uh, and or uh, provide us provide the board with the cash. Um, um, the uh, I guess we should maybe just touch on this five cell expansion. So uh, originally it wasn't expected to be five cells. It was only expected to be two, three cells. Uh, there was a, a, so changing it to five was a larger capital outlay. Uh, the board felt at the time that um, the mobilization, demobilization savings by coming once rather than twice uh, to complete five cells uh, would, uh, in the long term, pay for itself. Um, I think we should add that the general manager of the Peace Regional Waste Management Company 
felt that they're, um, they, they would have enough revenue to actually finance the five cells without going for a loan, I'm not correct. Um, and, uh, but uh, Mr. Gowan was, was keen on getting this letter out and the board approved it. Uh, you do not have to accept it, as it says in the options. Um, it's just that it's allowed under Article 5 of the membership agreement. Um, we can say no. Uh, you can you can loan it if you require a loan. You can do that as a standalone part-time company. And really, that was the point of setting up this Part 9 company, is that it, it stands alone and it's able to finance, well, uh, it's able to finance itself. Uh, and that its expenditure should balance its revenues. Um, so the recommendation from Miss, uh, Mr. Town when he, uh, he got the letter, is the letter attached to people's mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I think the recommendation, Your Worship, uh, mirrors exactly what she says. Uh, uh, the Peace River Waste Management Company is a part nine company, and they are a standalone organization. That's why we uh, struck the organization some years ago. And the recommendation basically says um, you're on your own. Go uh, go find your money if you need it. Uh, and I would just emphasize again that if, as the industrial revenues have been coming in, this is. This letter, uh, even though Doug Chairman Doug wanted it sent, I, I think he's just erring on the side of caution. I, I think we're quite optimistic. Some of us are optimistic that the revenues will be there and that this won't be required. But just the same, he wanted to make the partners aware of this because it is in the agreement and I don't think he wanted it to come back on any of the members uh, or any of the councils by saying I wasn't aware of this. So I, I think this is, a bit of a preemptive strike, but uh, I think that the motion is bang on. Uh, there's no requirement for us to do anything other than respond back to the company and tell the company if you need money, go borrow it from uh, from whatever sources you have available to you. I think it's hard to uh, do anything but accept the uh, Admin's recommendation, the letter does not speak to how much he was asked, the, the company was asking to borrow either, that I can see, I don't know. It became a little, uh, I believe the total capital project, I'm going to say three million, and I, I, I believe it was originally estimated at 4.5 million, the, the uh, tender, the tender came in. 3.1? The vial, the, there was one lower than this, but uh, it was deemed to be uh, uh, incomplete. Uh, but uh, I think the one that was accepted was 3.5 million. Um, so it is a big chunk of change. I'm not sure what the loan request would have been if it had come in. Yeah, and again, I, I think this motion says that we're not interested in loaning Peace River Management company any money we're we're quite clear that says whatever whatever your ask is 
Go, go, go find the money wherever it is you have to find it, but don't come to the town of Peace River. So are these guys basically looking for a co-signer in case they need it? Is that what it amounts to? I, I believe the chairman is asking for this because this clause is in, in our agreement, and I don't think he... I don't want to interpret what Mr. Dallin was thinking, but I, I don't think he wants to be accused of of, no. of doing something that would contravene that 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 agreement. So I, I guess it's... Uh, so if they have to do go borrow money later, he can say, look, I asked you guys and you all told me to go do what I have to do, so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and obviously the, the motion would speak to the rich partner in the organization or some other lending institution. Well, he does say the first option would be to borrow from our membership, i.e. The, the, the partners. Well, we know it's not going to be the village in Napa. And we know second, it's not going to be the town of Peace The second option would be to borrow from our financial institution. So I'm, I'm, I think you're more generous in your interpretation of, of this notice. So I would move that we accept admin's recommendation that we recommend to the Peace Regional Waste Management Company that they explore financing, financing, financing options from their financial institution or other, um, other members, it says. All in favor? Uh, we have a request for decision on the taxi pass policy. More comfortable chair. <laughs> Your Worship and Council, the report in front of you this evening is in regard to the taxi pass program. This was re reviewed in a directive format. Essentially, the same uh, wording, articles, sections was just transferred to a policy format as requested by council um, after reviewing it at a GNP meeting, Governance and Priorities Committee meeting. In addition, um, administra administration made a couple of small tweaks. Um, we did put some parameters around requests for use of the program by external agencies. This seems to be an ongoing request. We have external agencies asking for um, basically financial assistance, essentially is what it is, because it'd be the town paying for the cost of the Taxi Pass program for their clientele to get to whatever the program service uh, whatever the situation and, and there's been multiple different types of examples right now the program's not designed for that um, it's client based so directly a, a, a relationship with the client and the client is approved um, or not as the case may be um, in addition there was an area that we had discussed at the GNP but I unfortunately did not take great notes and to be honest was not sure of the direction of council whether or not we wanted to add an income um, cap or threshold for our seniors category we had discussed this but alas I did not take away a specific direction on this item the current policy and the current budget um, is a allowing for a non-financial cap on the seniors category or the age category also. So that's how the policy is presented to you this evening. If you so wish to 
put a financial threshold on a seniors category, we would have to go back and do a little bit of rewording. Um, and I provide a couple of suggestions for um, documenting a specific program threshold or financial threshold. Another program offer for that um, cap would be the Alberta Seniors Benefit Program. It provides a, um, a financial threshold for access to that program that we could also use. Its numbers are different. There's um, lower at approximately 23,000 for an individual and 38 to 40 for a couple of a couple of um, two seniors individuals cohabitating, whatever that may look like. So currently, the policy does not include any of financial information related to the the seniors category. I do provide, as requested from the last meeting. Um, a bit of an overview of the number of seniors that we have within the low-income category and it's approximately 35 out of the 76 that are currently listed on our program and we just did an update um, and the number of those there were three or four that are moving into um, care type facilities so we haven't identified pulled them out of the numbers yet they still may utilize the program depending on their mobility access at this point. Um, administration provides to the policy as it's stated attached for your adoption <coughs> this evening and or another option is to defer or direct administration to adjust the policy in any uh, capacity and we can go back and do some reworking of it and bring it back to a, a later meeting. Ultimately, to adopt the policy as presented. And how is it presented? Are we? Are you adding more dorms to it, or are you? No, no, no. As is. Okay. So yeah. That's what you're asking. Yeah. It was just that financial piece that I walked away without concrete direction of: Are we adding, or are we not adding a I, financial component well, I, to the I don't recall that I, I get this. I don't recall completing, but I got the sense that we didn't want to rock the boat. That, yeah, was the discussion. Well, can we adopt it now and then rock the boat, like, in the fall after the election? Like, the, the boat could be rocked at any time. <laughs> you choose. I just look at, you know, the medical stuff. How much we make making $300,000 a year, and they could claim it and go, go there because they want someone else to help pay their tax repairs. And, you know, as, as someone... I, could, I would probably do that if I could cut my class one way, but to me it's not fair to the other people that aren't on the program. Like I have, still have a hard time that we have people that are working the minimum wage and they cannot benefit the program because they make too much money. And yet other people, I, I'm not sure what age people makes now, but I'm sure they're not m too far away from the minimum age. So uh, seniors as well, like 15% of our clients are not considered low income, so why are they get it when, I just have a hard time with the whole thing. But. Well, and, and some of the issue with the financial threshold for some of the other categories is your current age rate, if you were getting the full amount, would put someone over the individual income level, according to our category now. So then you're, you would be eliminating uh, your whole age category. So I think we need to revisit the financial components completely at a later time, but it's a there's a direct link here to a budget item. 
So if we leave the policy as is, it fits with your current budget. If you make any changes, there's a direct link to the budget. And that was going to be my comment. Like I know we've already set the budget, so I'm okay with passing the policy based on this budget year. But um, the conversation that we had at the JMP meeting did sort of yeah. perk my attention to the fact that we were dealing more with poverty line income levels yeah. as opposed to say like working poor minimum wage yes. um, issues where there's clearly a disparity there. So I wouldn't mind revisiting that. I know we had some discussions at budget time, and I know at the end of the day we all kind of had to make a call on it, but. Um, that's something that I wouldn't mind revisiting. And, and I definitely plan on doing so because the discussion we've even had most recently around the transit issue. Mm -hmm. And again, um, I think our proposal that we brought to budget can be tweaked a little bit further and we might be able to sort of uh, provide, maybe not satisfy fully, uh, a larger gamut of the community, but we could definitely open the door wider and capture some of that working individual and minimum wage. We might have to do a recalculation again um, with a minimum wage going up again no, next year. Yeah, yeah. So we'll numbers might go up a little higher than what we even had discussed this past year, but we'll provide that information during the budget process um, if we do a similar service level discussion again. So our administration is re recommending that the town of Peace River Council maintain the taxi pass program policies uh, as per the status uh, <coughs> currently exists. Correct. Put a motion on the floor to adopt the presented uh, taxi pass program policy. So Which is, just to be clear, it's the one that exists. Yes. Right. All in favor. Thank you. Turning sodomite. Okay. Next. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, that's correct. I'm not. <laughs> I will be watching you all turn sodomite. Right, okay. <laughs> um, your worship and council, the administration brings forward a request to enable members of council and the mayor to attend the sod turning event on June 13th, uh, 2017, at 5:30 p.m at the site of our new Peace Regional Recreation Center. We received bid tenders today, so we're, I'm pretty excited. Um, we're coming to the fun part of this whole process. Uh, administration has sent invites to all of our municipal partners after we consulted with them on the preferred date, uh, which came out to being June 13th, and asked for participation by uh, entire councils at the event. However, it will be a one golden shovel per municipality, so we're asking for some designated hands for that golden <coughs> shovel. And really, there are no other options than an enabling motion. What time is this? 5.30. Did you actually put that in here? Uh, I have yeah, to yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tuesday. It's a Tuesday evening. Mm -hmm. Early evening. 5.30, yeah. Okay, a uh, motion to enable council to attend a peace ceremony for the Peace River Regional Recreation Center. I so move, Your Worship. All in favor? Thank you. Tanya. Tanya. 
Maybe you should check with the uh, Peace River Housing Association because they have a bunch of gold shovels that maybe you can borrow. But that is, but we have three. Is that a... Is that, we, we have at least three. three. I think they have five. I know we three. And that's her. Oh, no, it would be the same. We, we, we have three yeah. shovels, and they don't have a lot of dirt on them. That's perfect. I don't really want one more. I always wondered what happened There's one more item under new business, and that is the... Uh, Do you need another one? Uh, we have a letter from um, Ms. Lori Sigurdsson, Minister of Seniors and Housing, uh, requesting that we... Uh, we take the week from June the 5th to the 11th of uh, this June 5th to 11th of 2017 to uh, take this opportunity to recognize and celebrate seniors during, during seniors week. Um, so they would like a proclamation to that effect. So perhaps I could get a motion to proclaim June 5th to the 11th 2017 as Your Worship, I would uh, put a motion on the floor that we proclaim June 5 to 11 as uh, Seniors Week. And you're making that motion because you have because I have because I have five lodges under one of the committees that you assigned me to. Okay, all in favor. Ms. Zoom, perhaps we could. I uh, get Lori Sigerson to send us her signature and we will use our proclamations. We do a much better job than any other community in this province when it comes to putting out proclamations. I do appreciate your faith and your graphic design ability. I'm certain we can get her signature on our document. Okay, very good. Okay, very good. Um, We'll quickly go through uh, uh, check registry reports. Uh, we have four of them, May 8th, 10th, 15th, and the 15th again. Uh, was there too many checks on the 15th? Yes. Any questions on those? I have one on the, uh, the second registry on the 15th. And just one rather large, large payment to an individual for 104000 This is ten up, 8 or 10 up from the bottom. Yeah. Your official know what that one was? Or was it supposed to be a company or? Trying to think of the exact details, it was the return of an offsite levy, I believe, for something that um, that individual had undertook and undertaken. Um, so as such, since um, they had they had fronted their or given the money to the town in anticipation of doing um, a project or some other project, that never happened. So it was his right to request the money back, and that's what happened. I can provide more details, but that's the, the quick gist of it. Yep. I believe I have it in the email here, so I'll just double check that. I'll make that motion, Your Worship, to accept the check registers for May 8th, 10th, 15th, and 15th. 
for information. Any other councilor reports? Hearing none. Um, do people want to take a vote now or run through the information? Run through information. Okay. So do I need to excuse myself for these because no, the vast majority? Public information, so I would. That's just information. I guess it's in the record. Well, there would be a motion for information to accept, yeah. So I'm good? All right. So uh, we have a letter from Woodlands County. Um, this is just outside of Whiteport. Affairs regarding MSI funding. Uh, are there any questions for administration on that one? Um, there, there is also a an invitation from the McKenzie Regional Charity Golf Tournament. We put it into information, which is um, yeah, we we're not going to sit there. Let's be truthful here. Uh, there's also uh, the next item is an email regarding Mighty Beast Tourism AGM. Uh, you are our rep on that, are you not, Mr. Needham? Do you want to underscore anything? I think I'm the rep, Mark. Oh, are you? Are you aware of this item? Yes, I got my calendar. I'm not sure I can make it because I forgot my calendar. Your discussion meeting. It's May 29th, it says. So the what you're saying is the other municipalities will outflank and outvote us at the same year. <laughs> I think we're the largest supporter just because it's that agency is population funded and that's the largest municipal municipality then it means that we pay the most okay uh a letter uh from northern sunrise county uh, supporting our position in the air ambulance another letter similar letter from the md of peace 135 on the air ambulance um uh, a letter from the village of dominant for the minister of health on the air ambulance uh, supporting our position. Uh, number eight is a similar letter from the County of Northern Lights. Uh, we, and then number nine is a Peace Regional Healthcare Attraction and Retention Committee bar Barbecue. Uh, I think we have two members on that committee, or is it, we only have one? We have two.
from our doctors as well. By May 31st, so that we can get numbers to our care. And you just send them to Ruth if you're going to be coming. Um, the Smoky River Regional Fire Department uh, is is sending invitations far and wide for the grand opening. Uh, but again, we put it under uh, informational because uh, our feeling is there's, there's no date. When is it? He's going to do backwards. I've got to receive a piece of yeah. the paper. What date is it? You know when I was received. What date is the information, Councillor Burke? Oh, when is the opening? When is the opening? Yeah. Yeah. Could you read it? Could you read it out for us? It's on a Friday. Well, maybe you are, but maybe the rest of us will go. You're invited to the Smoky River Regional Fire Department in their celebration of the grand opening and ribbon cutting of the new Smoky River Emergency Services Station, Friday, June 23rd. Open house 10 till 3 p.m. Presentations, ribbon cutting at 11.30. Beef on the bun lunch at 11.45. Please RSVP to the Smoky River. Okay. Answered your, you said your feet hurt, don't make more sense. <laughs> um, there's the minutes of the May 13th uh, Peace Library Board. Is that your board, Ms. Madison? Uh, yes, it is. And they're looking forward to spending the million plus dollars that the library headquarters um, have received for. Um, renovations that peace library one is a million something and the rest are thereabouts as well as i understand it so i see that there's quite a few cooks on that committee so i don't know if a million dollars will go very far okay uh, minutes of the january february march meetings of the community service board and meetings of the museum board so the community service board, is that yours, Mr. Ford? And do you want to highlight anything there? No. And uh, Mr. Sajak, do you want to highlight anything on the museum board? No, I believe the mayor said there. And uh, item seven from new business uh, was a, uh, uh, should have been, uh, under information, under the informational items, all the uh, all the correspondence that we are uh, going to be sending uh, Alberta Health Services and the Minister of Health, we where we carbon copy uh, uh, our surrounding uh, the surrounding councils. We will put in the information set. Uh, I think councillors get a copy of those already, but uh, this would be. Uh, um, for the benefit of our direct public, they have access to the same information as uh, as our uh, uh, part partners on the uh, on the airport. And in that particular one, we're just asking for some uh, uh, the freedom of information request as to this form summary uh, that. Um, 
HS youth and the numbers uh, that they uh, they qualify for the, the submission drive. Um, so I'll take a motion to accept items one through thirteen. Thirteen being the, uh, the item to the letter to the AHS on the on the freedom of information request for information. I'll make that motion, Marisha, but I do have one question. The grand opening for the Smoky River Emergency Services Station, where is that located? Blair. It is in Blair? Yep. Are we having representation there, or would it be uh, maybe advisable to have one of our fire department members attend that, being that uh, our department works with them? Yeah, that administration. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and that has been offered to them. I believe the chief is busy that day but it's being offered to uh to other senior staff at the fire department okay thank you okay so all in favor of mr ford's motion uh any notices of motion there are not your worship um mr taylor are there um seeing that there's no uh Members of the public here, perhaps you can just highlight or highlight what you think was relevant in this particular meeting. The most relevant stuff I got was before the meeting during the mayor's minute. Okay. <laughs> uh, probably worthwhile noting that the uh, audited financial statements did I get that buzzphrase right that were were uh, approved were presented by uh, Myers Norris Penny for uh, for the for the town and the uh, and were approved by uh, council and the uh, and she said uh, what was her quote? It looks like we're in good financial shape. Was that her quote? Or am I putting words in her mouth? Fairly good. It's either that or you're in trouble. Or we're fairly stable financially. Maybe somebody can go through the record. I've got an audio recording. And find out what she, uh, she said. And we'll put that on uh, social media and put it up on the web as well. Um, I don't know if you want to uh, contact her, uh, Mr. Taylor, and get a soundbite from her. Not that uh, financial audit statements are are very sexy, but what's her name again? Uh, Sherry Peterson. We have the neighborhood meetings starting. They Tomorrow. Meetings. Yeah, the, uh, the neighborhood meetings. Uh, so the one for uh, the south side of town uh, that's, that's targeted towards the south side of town. Is it the north side? No, the 24th is the south side. The 31st is the north side. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't be there for the one that I should be. Okay. <laughs> But the 24th is the one. Mm -hmm. You're busy knocking on doors. Yeah, yeah. Very certain. 
So the uh, yeah, so that so the one for the uh, for the south it's so it's uh, it's geared towards south side residents. Uh, certainly, if you're Sorry, from no. another part of town, it's we vice won't. Versa. It's vice versa. <laughs> it is vice versa. May twenty fourth is the north, north and south is the thirty first. It's my dyslexia acting up. Uh, seven to nine. So it's the north side of town. Yep. So is that actually on the radio reports? Yeah. The correct one is on the radio reports. Okay. Yeah. And um, could the time loss meetings be put on the website? I looked it's and I had to go back to my council of minutes stuff to find the actual times. There's, I didn't see any reference on the website. You're right. On the time? Yes, all meetings are drop in taking place at Athabasca Hall from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. each. I can bold it. Okay, cool. Um, sure. I think it's bigger, maybe. Yeah. I can do both those things. So right now. But uh, if people from other neighborhoods drop by, yeah. that isn't an issue. Uh, the more, the more, the merrier. Okay. Will there be um, cookies and donuts, or what's the story? Uh, no. Any kind of refreshments? Are there? I'm hoping there are. Just requested them, but I can't. I don't know for so maybe, uh, the Actually, the May 29th meeting when the tender is going to be announced on the area. Okay. There will be light refreshments. Okay. What's that? A glass of water? Yeah. Shaftesbury's finest. Okay. So um, that will be, uh, that'll be uh, tomorrow. to the next council cycle we'll miss it so uh, I think it would be good if he could catch it now. Is there anything else you think that needs to be highlighted on either on our website or on the radio? Or both? Um, no, I think everything got covered. for five, ten minutes and you can get a sound bite from me and then we'll uh, reconvene to 